How we doing, everybody? Welcome back to History Spelunkers, the show where I take a deep dive into a niche topic from history and tell y'all about it. I am Kelvin, he, him pronouns, and these are my guest hosts for the day. I'm Jamie, she, her pronouns. And I'm Ryan, he, him pronouns. All right. Hopefully y'all will provide colorful and witty commentary as usual. And uh, are y'all ready to get down into a pretty niche topic today? Let's go. Let's do it. Down the rabbit hole we go. Oiga, señor, we are federales, you know, the mounted police. If you're the police, where are your badges? Badges? We ain't got no badges. We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. Better not come any closer. No sea tonto, hombre. We didn't try to do you any harm. Why don't you try to be a little more polite? So, whenever I say the word filibuster, what comes to mind? I mean, the old senators sitting there talking up a storm for hours and hours just trying to delay whatever they can. Yeah. Or that one guy who read, like, all the Dr. Seuss books. Yeah, Ted Cruz. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, irritating, but <laughs> it's not exciting enough to do its own video. Fortunately, I don't think I could talk about other people talking for a long time. But for those of you who aren't familiar with that word, the legislative filibuster is a phenomenon where, yeah, they just talk to prevent the passage of the bill. But the name filibuster comes from a military context, which is actually rather interesting. And so... That definition of the word, uh, Wikipedia says, uh, it is someone who engages in an unauthorized military expedition into a foreign country or territory to foment or support political revolution or secession, end quote. Hmm. Wow. So they're kind of like mercenaries, except they don't work for anybody. They're just... There to cause problems yeah. for nobody's benefit. <laughs> Basically. So, as you can imagine, this really doesn't happen a whole lot anymore. Mm -hmm. It'd be like, hey, let's go invade Mexico for spring break, right? You know, that's not mm -hmm. something people do. Spring break with the girls. Yeah, right. But uh, we go back in the yonder years in the past, late 1700s, early 1800s, uh, it was actually... A rather common occurrence, especially by Americans, because we had that whole manifest destiny going on. We decided, I say we, Americans decided that uh, they would try and gain control of different regions of Latin America and then make their own country and then eventually join the United States. Basically, pull a Texas. Hmm. But where they were their own state for their own country for a while and then they joined the US. Getting the good favor of the the states. Yeah. And so so yeah, I think we can all agree that it takes a very specific type of person to go about 
and be a filibuster-er, I guess is how you would say it. Huh. You know, they have to be, have a rather high opinion of themselves <laughs> and oh, yes, some amount of charisma to be able to convince people to go along with them. So today I'm going to tell you the story about two such individuals, perhaps the more famous filibusters from this strange period in time. Hmm. Our first one has the wonderful name of Gregor McGregor. Gregor McGregor? <laughs> uh, How creative. It's a, a man with an ego, you can already tell. Uh, he was born in 1786, and if you couldn't tell by his name, he is Scottish. We don't know a lot about his childhood, but at the ripe old age of 16, he joined the British Army and fought in the Napoleonic Wars in Europe, especially in Portugal and that part. But he left the service in 1810, and he tried to make a name of himself in the big cities of Edinburgh and London, but wasn't that successful and then his wife died in 1811 and he didn't know what to do uh, because his wife had a wealthy family who was his major source of income during this time period after mm -hmm. he left the army and his in-laws did not like him mm -hmm. just mooching off of them and so not knowing what to do Gregor McGregor became very interested in the colonial revolts going on in the New World of the Spanish territories trying to gain their independence, particularly Venezuela. And so in 1812, he went to go make adventure in the New World. He joined the Venezuelan Revolutionary Forces under the command of a Francisco de Miranda, in 1812 and he initially was somewhat successful with his military command and was promoted to a brigadier general but soon after this Miranda was captured and the remaining revolutionaries had to flee to the island of Curacao okay. off the coast of Venezuela and over the next four years, he would bounce around between like these different revolutionary groups in Venezuela and in nearby New Granada, which is now Colombia. Mm -hmm. So he'd kind of be going around helping out different groups trying to gain their independence. This whole time period is pretty complicated as far as South American history goes. <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, so we're going to kind of skim over a decent amount of it. But uh, occasionally he served with the famous Simone Bolivar, who is like the main guy who comes out of this time period. He's known as a Libertador or something like that. I don't speak Spanish very well, but he participated in lots of different revolutionary causes and the country of Bolivia is named after him. So, hmm. but uh, Simone Bolivar was actually a cousin of Gregor's second wife that he married over in Venezuela. Oh, I thought you were about to say a second cousin of his and I was like, no. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, and McGregor, you know, he starts becoming more important in certain military campaigns 
And after some success, the revolutionary leaders suggested that McGregor should go over and maybe try and lead the liberation of Spanish Florida. Because if he goes over there, you know, he'll spread Spanish forces a little bit more thin and less colonialism overall. So McGregor likes this idea. He goes to the United States to recruit soldiers in 1817 to liberate Florida from Spain. He recruits in the U.S. because he assumed that Florida, once it was independent, would be annexed by the United States because it's right there. And at the time, it was, there were two Floridas. So there's East Florida and West Florida. East Florida is like the peninsula part. And then West Florida is like the panhandle. Mm -hmm. It's the coastline that goes. And at that time, it went all the way to like New Orleans and the Mississippi River. So it's now parts of like Mississippi, Alabama. So we used to have Long Florida. Long Florida, yes. And so... He does some recruiting, is able to gather some amount of people, but uh, in June of 1817, McGregor attacked Amelia Island, which is uh, a small community off the coast of northern Florida, like just south of the Georgia border. And at the time, that island housed around 40% of the non-indigenous population of Florida. So it was a very sparsely populated state by white people. And with a force of fewer than 80 men, he managed to force the Spanish four on the island to surrender without a fight. Whoa. So okay, starts off pretty good. Wow. But then uh, a few days after, on June 30th, he raised a green flag, well, flag with a green cross on it, and... <laughs> Uh, he announced an independent Republic of the Floridas under his command, and he called on the white people of Florida to help him in liberating them. Most didn't like this idea. They didn't want to be involved in this conflict, so they just left the island. <laughs> um, they just, nope, out of there. No, thank you. And because of this, McGregor his troops quickly lost morale and uh he also forbade them from looting the town which didn't make his soldiers happy mm -hmm. and then he tried to tax the pirates on the island which didn't yeah, make them I'm happy sure that went well and I'm gonna tax the pirates <laughs> all his work recruiting over in the u.s kind of fell apart because after his first attack the U.S. barred anybody from going to the island to go help him. So. So America didn't want anything to do with this at this point. Yeah. Because he didn't really have a whole lot of success in getting people to his cause. A Spanish military began amassing forces on the mainland. And on September 3rd, he transferred control of the Republic of the Floridas to one of his subordinates who just happened to be a former congressperson from Pennsylvania and he went to the Bahamas. He, the second he saw conflict coming up, I guess he had no reinforcements, just noped out of there. Yeah. 
and uh, he made no attempts to try and repay the people who funded his expedition. But he did have some fancy medals made for himself, so he could wear them on his lapel. <laughs> this Republic of the Floridas remained independent for about three months before it was defeated by American troops, who then, after, they kept the island on Spain's behalf. <laughs> until the U.S. eventually purchased all of Florida in 1819. McGregor, after his quick vacation in the Bahamas, uh, he rejoined the military efforts in Venezuela, but he was not successful after this point. And in 1819, he just disappeared. And several of his troops were not paid on several occasions and they were kind of getting upset and so mcgregor just noped out of there and disappeared again not paying them what a weenie we do not know what happens for he just vanishes poof but um the story doesn't end there about a year later i guess yeah about a year later he resurfaced in the court of King George Frederick Augustus of the Mosquito Coast. The Mosquito Coast. Which is in modern day Honduras and Nicaragua. That's not, I'd rather be on the Gold Coast. <laughs> yeah, <personally>. me too. <laughs> this little kingdom was set up as a British protectorate in order to prevent Spain from getting close to British territories in Belize. Mm. It's weird. But yeah, there's a kingdom called the Mosquito Coast. Hmm. And this king, George Frederick Augustus, he signed a document awarding McGregor 8 million acres of land, which is wow. an area larger than Wales. It's a lot of land. In exchange for some rum and some jewelry. As you do. And Man, uh, I wish someone would give me 8 million acres of land for some rum and some jewelry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pretty great, pretty great deal. But uh, after he got this document signed, he returned to <laughs> England and he called himself the Kazike of Poye, which is just a local title. Well, Kazike is like a title in that part of the world the indigenous people use, but he invented this title for himself. Poye wasn't like a place is just a name he gave this area that he now owned supposedly and he began selling like investment bonds and land titles for this land of Poyer who he was now the Kaziki or like prince of were the bonds in trade of rum and jewelry no it was like investments in this country ah. so like government bonds basically uh, he claimed Poyer was becoming a prosperous colony and many people could go there, make a new life. This wasn't the case. It was no colony and much of this land was just uninhabited jungle. But that didn't stop him from selling all these bonds and saying all these wonderful things about the port of Poyer over in the new world and give me money to invest in this place and buy land in Poyer. So to back up a little bit, mm. he disappears and then just so happens 
to trade eight million acres with this king. Yes. We and do we know, not know what happened. We know nothing about the king or like why he you did know, this. It was so much easier to scam people before. Was it even a scam, or was this king trying to get more people in his colony? Well, I mean, he's clearly scamming all these people. Well, he's scamming people. <coughs> yeah. But, like, what was the king thinking? I mean... I wonder if it was one of those things where, like, like what they, like, what Americans used to do to, like, the natives in the U.S., where they would, like, there's a, like, language barrier there, so they would just, like, it make a be. trade deal that screws over the natives because they don't under like there's the language barrier yeah like mcgregor is like oh yeah i have this army like you know i'll give you some rum and jewelry and i won't like destroy your colony yeah, or something, something like, like that i'm sure there's some kind of i'm the best you suck game yeah. land for cheap because like what are the odds that he had enough rum and jewelry to like equal the value of eight million well he was trying to tax the pirates and what oh, yeah. else do pirates have other than rum and jewelry? jewelry. So you're right, you're right. He was rich on rum and jewelry. Well, that's assuming that the pirates paid their taxes. Mm. Have you ever known a pirate to pay their taxes? Well, who knows where he was in the last <laughs> year. So yeah, he's he's doing all this investment fraud. <laughs> uh, and in 1822, McGregor actually manages to secure a... 200,000 pound loan from a bank to build up this port of Poyer. And this is in 1800s money? Yes. That, oh, that's got to be a lot of money. Yes. I don't know Should my pounds, but... 200,000 pounds in modern day. In 1822. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, these were valuable, you know, investing in colonies and during this time period, early 1800s, it's a valuable place. A lot of people doing this, you know? Uh, and, uh, but this all kind of like falls through just about a year later because by 1823, the value of these bonds that he sold were less than 10% of face value. So people already were calling him on his yeah. BS and... It's, yeah. They were already not worth anything because he had nothing to show. Yeah, but he had already gotten all his money. He already got what he wants. Yeah. He doesn't care how much the bonds are selling for. He's already got his, his initial money. Yeah, and uh, he actually, several ships managed to immigrate to Poyer, um, only to find that there's nothing there for them to immigrate to. Again, it's just uninhabited jungle. There's no port. There's nothing for them. Uh, and so, a lot of people ultimately died getting over there. Uh, like, there's two ships that had 250 colonists going to Poye. 180 people died. And fewer 50 of them returned to England. Wow. Uh, yeah, after that group left to go to Poye... Uh, McGregor's like, oh shit, they're gonna get back and really expose the scam. And so he dipped off again and went to France. <laughs> and, uh, he kept on going with this fraud just over in France. And, uh, whenever people began calling him on it, he's like, no, I wasn't defrauding these people. It's just... The ship captains that these people are going on, they're just not taking them to Poyer. 
They're just kidnapping them. Yes, is what he was saying. Oh yeah, uh, that's totally believable. Yeah, going back to your earlier point, Jamie, of it is a lot easier to trick people back then and that kind of thing. Because he can just run off to somewhere else where nobody's heard of it and, oh yeah, this land of Poirier, you ever mm -hmm. heard of it? Oh, no, you haven't. Also, I just googled it and 200,000 pounds in 1882 is equal to approximately 25 million pounds today. And see, this was like 1820s, so. Yeah. So even more. Oh, 1820s? Yeah. Oh my bad. Let's see. And then the dollars, I can't, I don't know the conversion either. Yeah, I don't know that. Okay, that's like 20 million. 20 million? 20, 20 million pounds. 20 million pounds to US dollars. Wow. So yeah, he, yeah, these people are just, oh, I'm not scamming them. They're being kidnapped. Well, this didn't work for very long. Um, he was only able to continue his scams for a couple more years. Uh, but McGregor was actually arrested in France, 1825, along with some of his friends for this fraud scheme. But whenever the trial came around in July of 1826, McGregor was acquitted because he managed to convince the jury that, no, he wasn't defrauding all these people. It was his friends selling them fake deeds to the land because they had sold the same pieces of land, quote unquote, to different people. It's like, no, that wasn't me doing it. It was all my friends. <laughs> oh yeah, it's not my fault. And so, uh... I would never. Yeah. And so he gets off scot-free and his friend gets sentenced to 13 months in prison. <gasps> 13 months is all? Yeah. That's not that bad. For Okay, well, but it's also like 1800s prison. Yeah. But also not... 180 people just died on the ship. Possibly 250 for all I know. That's and this man point. gets sent for 13 months. That's a good point. Yeah. Not even a month per person. Nope. No, we're close. Uh, so yeah, and then these scams, they just petered out once a bunch of lumber companies bought land from the king of the Mosquito Coast for basically the same area. And so, yeah, people were, now that companies were involved and so just random people, they were able to keep track of the paperwork a lot easier. And so, yeah, he settled down and, um, after his second wife died, he moved back to Venezuela in 1845, and he died in 1845, uh, a few weeks before his 59th birthday. So, And he never even went back to Poirier, the, the mythical land no. of Poirier, to do anything. He never went back to mythical land of Poirier. Hmm. Well, that is the tale of Gregor McGregor, the liberator of Florida. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Our next character is probably the singular most famous filibuster of all time. His name is William Walker. And he was born in 1824 in Nashville, Tennessee. He graduated from University Summa Cum Laude at age 14. Whoa. And he got a medical medical degree at age 19. So he was rich <laughs> in the 1800s. Yeah, he, 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 he was, was smart. Uh, but after he worked at several newspapers, he decided to move west, young man, and went out to California with the gold rush. 
and while in California, he was being a dude, I guess, and managed to get involved in several duels. <laughs> As one does. Yeah. He got shot on a couple occasions, you know. But my question is, why does he get a medical degree and then go sell newspapers? Yeah, that was my question, too. Just something to do, I guess. Just something to do. But, I mean, wouldn't using your medical degree also be something to do? You'd think so. <laughs> you think it'd pay pretty well, you know? There's not too many doctors. Especially not then. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he was a daddy's little prodigy and <laughs> fell off pretty quick after college at 19. <laughs> maybe. But, uh... In California, uh, he began to get involved in politics, as one does. And, like, I, as we've discussed before, the podcast, slavery is, like, the defining issue of this time period. Because, obviously, well, Walker, being from Tennessee and being that kind of person, he supported slavery and he wanted to expand the number of slave states in the United States. And, in his mind, the best way to do this was to invade Mexico and establish independent states in that country, which would eventually join the Union. So basically, pull a Texas, mm -hmm. but do it multiple times. It's ambitious of him. Yeah. So, on October 15th, 1853, he got a group of 45 men and captured the capital city of Baja, California, La Paz. With 45 people. With 45 people, yeah. Wow. It's impressive, I guess. And then on November 3rd, he declared himself the president of Lower California. We got West and East Florida and Lower and Upper California. And claimed the entire region for himself under his control. He also said that all of the Mexican laws of that territory were null and void. And that Lower California actually had the exact same laws as the state of Louisiana. Convenient. Thus making slavery legal again. He also... <laughs> he changed the official language to English because, of course, he didn't really do any governing after he made all these declarations because the Mexican authorities were after him. They didn't very much appreciate this. And so he's hopping from town to town, avoiding the cops... In the army and he kept this up for about a few months and then on january 21st in 1854 he claimed to have annexed the neighboring state of sonora mexico so lower california has now annexed sonora even though he has never personally set foot in the state hmm. and also while claiming sonora he renames it to the republic of sonora hmm. again even though he's never been there he keeps going, keeps running around, runs low on supplies, and he goes back to California in May of 1854. He's arrested because he violated the Neutrality Act, and he's put on trial for conducting illegal warfare. But a lot of people in the United States supported him because they're like, oh yeah, filibustering, good job, we like this. And so the jury acquitted him in eight minutes. Wow. Hmm. Short trial. And because of this lack of a reprimand, uh, he was like, okay, I'm going to do this again. So in 1855, about a year from the end of his last expedition, a civil war 
is going on in Nicaragua between they're called the legitimist and the democratic parties. Not the same democratic party as was in the U.S., but that's just their names. Uh, anyways, the democratic party forces invited William Walker to politely invade Nicaragua or get recruits of people to supplement their military forces to help them on their side of the civil war. So Walker shows up. He promises that he's going to bring like 300 people. He only brings 60. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, I mean, he took over the capital of California and with 45. Yeah. So. And so, uh, yeah, he gets about 60 people. And uh, he goes down and they're like, okay, you didn't bring as many people as you promised, but that's fine. And they give him command of part of their army. And he's super successful as a military leader. And by October 13th, he had captured the legitimist capital and his army was in control of the entire country. Franklin Pierce, the U.S. president at the time, he recognized this new government under the Democratic Party as legitimate. And the provisional president, Patricio Rivas, is recognized in May of 1856 as this is the guy in charge. Well, Rivas, he's basically just a puppet figure. William Walker's in charge of the army, and therefore he's in charge of the country. So he was invited in and yeah. silently took over. Yeah, and then, so yeah, in May is whenever the U.S. government recognizes the coup, basically. But then, you know, a couple months later on July 12th, they just decide to say the quiet part out loud, and Walker declares himself president of Nicaragua after holding a fraudulent election. <laughs> and then uh, on September 22nd, he repealed the laws in the country prohibiting slavery. He made English the official language, and he passed some economic reforms as part of his, quote, Americanization program. Mm, don't like that. Of course, none of the other countries in Central America like the idea of a white dude just coming in and being like, I'm in charge now. And so Costa Rica declared war on Nicaragua in March. And then a month later, they invaded Nicaraguan territory. On July 18th, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador joined in an alliance uh, against Walker's army. So it's basically every country in Central America against William Walker. <laughs> and they all join in this alliance and on December 14th and they invade. William Walker doesn't do very well because he's also still battling with some legitimist forces that are still kind of doing guerrilla warfare stuff. On December 14th, he orders that his capital city be burned to the ground after it is being sieged by this coalition army. Some burned earth tactics. And Walker managed to hide out in Nicaragua until May of 1857, whenever he surrendered himself to the U.S. Navy. And they took him back home. 
there's like statues and stuff of Walker being kicked out. Like this is a very proud period of like Nicaraguan identity is kicking out William Walker and stuff. <laughs> so they got like statues and stuff all over the place. He probably would have been kicked out of Nicaragua sooner if the coalition army didn't have like a massive cholera outbreak. In all the casualties from the conflict and fighting, there's only about 2,000 people, but the cholera outbreak killed almost 10,000 people. Wow. So to give you an idea of the scale of it. What? But yeah, the U.S. Navy, they arrest him, take him back to the U.S., but uh, he receives no punishment for his actions again because everyone's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I think it was at the Democratic National Convention of that time period, they're like, oh yeah, we need to like annex Nicaragua because a white dude's in charge and slavery's legal again. Just because, you know, it wasn't really seriously considered, but they brought it up as attempting to put it on their platform. So yeah, he received no punishment for his actions. And so less than six months later, he tries to go back to Nicaragua and retake control. But uh, the U.S. Navy stops him before he gets there. Not even a full year. And uh, they're like, no, 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 go back. And so he goes back and uh, he waits around for a while. In the U.S., he writes a best-selling book about how great he is at taking over countries and stuff. And his final filibustering attempt <laughs> comes in 1860, whenever he was approached by British colonists from Roatan, which is an island north of Honduras, kind of like in the Mosquito Coast area. And the British colonists on this island feared that Honduras would eventually try and take over that island because it's close to them and people don't like colonies in that part of the world very much. And so, yeah, those British colonists were scared, so they went to Walker and be like, hey, can you help us out? Kind of like what Nicaragua did. And so Walker was like, yeah, I'll go and help you establish an English country in Latin America, sure. But in the process of making his way to the island, he was apprehended by the British Navy. And they're like, no, 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 we don't want you fermenting revolution in our colonies. We do not appreciate that. <laughs> and so they're just tired of his shenanigans as, long, as with everybody else. And so uh, instead of sending him back to the U.S. where he would be fine, uh, the British Navy give him over to the Honduran government. And uh, so, yeah, they promptly execute him on September 12th, 1860, with a firing squad for his shenanigans in the war. Wow. It's a way to go out. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's uh, William Walker. And he's like the epitome of the filibuster. He's the most famous one, most successful one also, because he technically was in control of a country for a while. And like, there's a lot of, you see it in, like, lost cause, civil war, propaganda stuff. They were really into this kind of thing because they wanted the expansion of slavery. And so, like, 
there's like a whole secret society called the Knights of the Golden Circle that wanted to the Golden Circle being the Gulf of Mexico. They just wanted to take it all over and turn it into slave states. Yeah. Um, but then even afterwards, like, I think in the Gone with the Wind stuff, they casually mention William Walker is like, oh, yeah, I was friends with that dude. He was a good guy. You know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But, um, yeah, that's the exciting history <laughs> of filibustering. I actually did not know about any of that. I didn't either. Like, usually when we do this, there's like a couple of things that I've like heard before or like at least sound familiar, but I never heard any of this. Yeah, I had heard of William Walker before just mm -hmm. because of the assertive like he tried four times and they're like, oh, okay, just don't do that again, please. It's like, Okay, I won't. Fingers crossed. But, uh, yeah. Just the absurdity of <laughs> invading countries and then just failing and be like, okay, I'll do it again. Mm -hmm. It's like, you really, what, like, what's well, going through your mind? Yeah, when there's no repercussions, I mean, why not yeah. try again, I guess. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, I, I knew about that, but then, uh, yeah, just reading into it, I didn't know that's what inspired... Like, I didn't know it was called filibustering. I don't even know how, like, that becomes, oh, yeah, I'm going to talk for a really long time. Yeah. And that's the filibuster. Yeah. And so, uh, thankfully, this doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I mean, you still get, like, I think the closest, you could still argue that some things are filibustering in more recent history, but it's usually, they got the government support behind them, and so it doesn't really count. It's mm -hmm. not individuals doing it. So, like the Bay of Pigs invasion, that was like a that fake was, filibuster. That was the first thing that came to my head. Yeah. But yeah, that was definitely like government But because approved. government approved, government trained, it, it's not really considered the same. Hmm. Um, so yeah. Which is good, because we don't just need random people making life complicated for a bunch of other people. Especially if they got, you know, these types of motivations of like, I want to expand slavery. So. Best reason. So yeah, that's uh, filibustering. Uh, I'll go ahead and close us out. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you hear, please tell your friends about us. We're always looking for more fans. The music in this episode was by Mountaineer. You can find his stuff and more on Upbeat.io. As always, we want to acknowledge that we are recording this on land that rightfully belongs to the Comanche, Kiowa, Tonkwa, and other indigenous peoples. If you have any questions, suggestions for future episodes, or you just want to say hi, you can reach out to us at History Spelunkers. That's history, S-P-E-L-U-N-K-E-R-S, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and thanks for coming down the rabbit hole with me. Uh, until next time, bye-bye. Bye, everyone. See you guys. <laughs>